actually in the month of January, I uh, taught on the subject creation, creation. And, um, and then I was going to teach the following Wednesday on the subject, the fall of man. And it turned into the fall of Joel into COVID. And uh, so <laughs> I've been a little bit... Um, I've been a little bit uh, unable to get back to the flow of that. But I, I hope to, by the help of God, I hope to be able over the next uh, uh, several months in throughout 2021, I just want to go through the Word of God. And so we began with creation. Tonight I'm going to be talking about the fall of man. And we're going to continue on throughout this year going through the word of the Lord and touching on some of the very important themes of the scriptures and uh, their relation to uh, life as we know it. There's no more relevant uh, piece of literature, no more relevant uh, book that you could ever find than this word that we are studying from tonight. It's more than something that we uh, just... A reference, but it is the Holy Word of God. There's a reason why you're here. You're here to receive something from the Word of the Lord. And so we want to go directly to the Word of God, and I want to talk to you about the fall of man. It's important to understand that, that God has an intention for man, that God created man in His image. And, and male and female created he them, mankind. God created male and female in his image. This is why both man and woman respectively uh, illustrate and show forth the glory of God in their unique ways. And it is one of the reasons why the enemy wants to get rid of all references to man and woman, male and female, it's a, it's a growing and disturbing trend to, to create gender-neutral language uh, because there, there is an, a very definite attempt of the enemy to try to get people from thinking that there is any difference. Well, there's a big difference between a man and a woman, and God created them to be very different uh, anatomically, biologically, and in their differences, they reflect in their unique way the glory of the Lord. And you can see in the relationship between a husband and wife, you can see the glory of God uh, and uh, in the love that they share. God created mankind to have dominion over the earth. The earth was a gift to man. It was God's gift to man. And he gave it to him and said, I want you to to tend to the garden. He placed him eastward in the garden called Eden. Uh, Eden means pleasure. Uh, it is God's will for man to have pleasure. Don't ever think that serving God is a loss of pleasure. Don't think that living for the Lord is a loss of pleasure. Some in the world will tell you that you can't uh, live for God and have Fun, and, and it's actually not true at all. In fact, what the world deems as fun is a broad way that leads to destruction. And so the only way that you can have true pleasure is to live for the Lord. The Bible says two things about pleasure. One, it says that in His presence there is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And then another place it says that Moses did not choose to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So here's what you understand about pleasure. The pleasures of sin last only for a season, and the pleasure that you find in the presence of the Lord lasts forever and ever and ever. And that's the difference between a real pleasure and a fake pleasure. A fake pleasure is one that lasts only for a season and then crashes with a great deal of pain and anguish. But, but to serve the Lord gives you pleasure for eternity. God created man so that man could have true and genuine pleasure in life, free of death, free of sickness, free of pain, free of sin. And, and this was the true pleasure of God that he had in mind for man. So when you look at the beginning of the word of the Lord, just past the account of creation... 
and you get into the creation of man and, and then God's subsequent dealings with man, placing him eastward in, in the Garden of Eden uh, and giving him authority and dominion over the things of the earth. When you study this out and you see this relationship with man, between man and God, uh, you see that it is a beautiful relationship. Of course, we know then what happens. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, the serpent, who is the most subtle beast of the field, uh, said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. So he comes to her with a question about the word of God and she begins to engage the serpent in this question that he has concerning the word of God. Understand that when the devil posits questions into your mind, he's not looking for a genuine conversation with you. And he's not looking for information. He is leading the witness. He wants to lead you into your demise. And so he says, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And she said, well, we can eat of all the trees of the garden. It's only of this one tree that we are not to eat. And he, if we do, we shall surely die. And he said, you shall not surely die. It's important to notice that she actually said the Lord said not to eat it nor touch it lest you die. But Adam was the one that received this message from God, and God never told Adam that if you touch it, you shall die. He told him, if you eat it, you shall die. But Adam felt like he should tell Eve not to eat it nor touch it lest you die. But there's a problem when you start adding to what God said. There's a problem that develops when you start trying to improve the word of God, when you try to perfect his word, what are you saying when you feel you have the necessity to perfect the word of God? Are you saying his word is not perfect enough? Are you saying that his word requires your improvement of it into something more capable of accomplishing its mission? And so Adam, Adam really complicated things because somewhere between God saying, you shall not eat of it lest you die, and Eve telling the serpent, we shall not eat of it, nor shall we touch it lest we die. Somebody added the words, if you touch it, you'll die. And that didn't make sense. And so, so whether it was Adam or Eve's misunderstanding, somewhere this was added. And anytime you add to the word of God, you're going to have trouble. And anytime you subtract from the word of God, you're going to have trouble. But if you rightly divide the word of truth, studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, you will have peace in your life. Let the word be the word. Let the Bible be the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so the Bible said that the woman seized on that, the serpent rather, seized on that and said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. It started out as a question. And it ended up with a lie. You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. Notice his concentration on the, the temporary nature of this. You shall not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof. In the day that you eat thereof. So the devil's concentration was on the day. It was on the here and the now. It was on the moment. And that's really what the devil tries to get us to concentrate on is how does it feel in the moment? What? Don't, don't think beyond the day. Don't think beyond the moment. Don't think on the ramifications, the consequences. Just what the day that you eat thereof. That's what really matters. And you shall not surely die. And it would have been tempting to eat of it uh, the Bible says she ate of it, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And, and turns out that God said they would die, and here they ate of it. They're still standing. They're still breathing. Their st heart's still beating. They didn't die. It wasn't a lightning bolt that came out of heaven. But make no mistake about it, the process of death had begun. 
Because sin never comes alone. Sin always brings death with it. This was the fall of man. Now, in the book of Romans, the Bible teaches us that it was the disobedience of Adam that brought, for, brought sin and death into the world. It was not the deception of Eve. It was the disobedience of Adam. There's a difference. Eve was deceived. Adam was disobedient. It was the disobedience of Adam that brought forth sin and death into the world. Sin brings death with it. Without sin, there is no death. Adam and Eve should be alive right now in the prime of their life, being fruitful and multiplying. That is the will of God. But they sinned, and because they sinned, death will come into the world. Now, it's important to understand that this is why Jesus, glory to God, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but this is why Jesus came to do what he did. Because he came to, to this earth and he lived a life without sin. He showed us what can happen when a life is lived with no sin. And, and living a life with no sin allowed him to take authority over death. And when we die in the Lord, we die not as the world dies, but we die with the hope of his great resurrection. We die knowing that we will live again with him in glory. This is why we don't sorrow as, as others sorrow. Because for some, the end of this life is the conclusion of all things. But for us, it is the beginning of life everlasting. There's a great cloud of witnesses to which we will be welcomed. Knowing, hallelujah, that Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. And he makes us innocent and he makes us blameless and gives us victory over death and hell and the grave. And that's why we serve him every day of our lives. That's why we commit ourselves to him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when man sinned, it brought death into the world. And, and, and death creates a, it's a, it's a, a spiral. It's a spiral. Relationships started to die. And and uh, affection started to die, and patience started to die, and uh, love for one another started to die, and man started to die. I, I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 1, and I want to read to you uh, uh, just a, a little verse of Scripture here to give you an idea of what, what happens when, when sin enters into, into our being. You see it in the life of Adam. We're going to read to you... Uh, uh, here's something Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 21 you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled but I want you to notice that you were alienated and enemies in your mind why and how by wicked works Wicked works alienate, wicked works alienate people. Wicked works make enemies of people to God in their mind. Their mind becomes corrupted by the wickedness of their works. You see this happen in the life of Adam when he fell. Before he fell, God spoke to him with, with ease, no trouble at all. Everything was fine. He would speak to Adam, and Adam would speak to God. Adam understood God. God understood Adam. There was a free flow of communication that would exist. And, and if you want to know who Adam's dad was, the Bible tells us in Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, it teaches us that Adam was the son of God. God made man in his image, and man was the son of God. That's who he was. But when he sinned, something changed. The Bible says that the Lord came down in the cool of the day. In the cool of the day. He just came down to talk with man. And he called unto Adam. And Adam did not respond. And God found him. Adam came out wearing some kind of fig leaf contraption. And... and and said, I, I was afraid of you. And God said, why were you afraid? He said, because I was naked and I, and I was afraid. He said, number one, who told you you were naked? And, and, and number two, why in the world are you afraid of me? And, and, and here's what's interesting to me. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he was afraid for the first time. It's the first time in the Bible we encounter the concept of fear. There's no fear before the fall. There's no fear before sin. There's no fear before disobedience and deception. Before all of that, there was absolutely no fear. This is how perfect love casts out fear. Because in perfect love, there's no disobedience or deception. There's no, uh, there's no uh, fall in perfect love. In perfect love, you have the power to cast out fear. And so Adam comes and says, I was afraid. He was afraid of God. Now, what changed? They just had this beautiful communion with one another. They were able to talk so freely. Adam understood everything God was saying. God understood everything Adam was saying. There was this free flow of communication. So what happened at the fall? Who changed? Well, here's the reality. We know that God did not change. God is the Lord, and he changes not. So he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was love before the fall. He was love after the fall. He was good before the fall. He was good after the fall. He loved Adam before and after the fall. He was compassionate before and after the fall. God never changed. Adam changed. And now when he hears the voice of God, it is not a feeling of excitement, anticipation, eagerness. My father is here. Let me go out to meet him. No, no. It was fear. He heard his voice and he was afraid. That's what sin will do to our life. It will make us afraid of God. It will, when we hear his word come forth, for instance, his word coming forth does not sometimes, when we have sin in our lives, it doesn't necessarily bring forth a, a, a feeling of calm and peace, but we hear it differently. And Colossians 1 explains why. Because you're alienated in your mind by wicked works. Wicked works have put you in the position of being an enemy against the Lord. And so when you hear God's voice, it's a voice of love, but it's like traveling through a voice distorter. Have you ever heard somebody speaking through a voice distorter? It's saying the witness protection program, they don't want anybody to know who it is that's talking, so they talk through this distorter of their voice and it's a normal voice on one end, but when it comes out, there's a distortion to it so that you can't understand whose voice it is. That's the way God's voice was to Adam. When God's voice came down to man, it went through the filter of Adam's wicked works. It went through the filter of his disobedience. It went through the filter of his shame. And when it reached Adam's ears, it was not a voice of love or a voice of peace or a voice of compassion. It was a voice to fear and to be afraid of. And, and, and so this is what God was dealing with. His own son who couldn't even receive his voice as he once would. We see this happen in the, in the story of Moses bringing the children of Israel to the great mountain of Sinai. Moses had been in the presence of the Lord and, and had spoke to him from a burning bush. And, and you may recall the account. If you don't, it's all right. Here it is. There's a bush that was burning but was not being consumed. And from it came a voice, a voice that was the voice of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Moses' family. And this voice said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hears the voice and, and, and he draws close to the voice. Now, Remember, man, when he heard the voice of God, would run in fear because it was something terrifying. Man was so sinful, so disobedient, he was so alienated by his wicked works that when he heard the voice of God, it was something that he was afraid of. So, so you can see God wanted to communicate with man, but when he spoke, man ran. God wanted man to know, I love you, I'm your father, you're my son. I created you to love you and for my glory. And, and yet man would run when he heard the voice of God. I believe this is why God showed such deference to Abraham. Because God spoke to Abraham and said, Leave now thy father's house and thy father's kindred and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham heard the voice. And he obeyed the word of God. I, I don't know. I don't have any Bible for this. So I don't know if God had spoken to 1,500 other people 
those same words and, and got turned down, got rejected every time. I don't know. I just know that when he said it to Abraham, Abraham heard it and he received it and he obeyed it and he believed in God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. And God got so excited when Abraham heard him. It was almost like he was, he was saying, you, wait, you hear me? You can hear me? You can, you, you can hear what I'm telling you? I, I just told you that if you'll go to this city that I'll show you, I'll bless you. You hear that? You're doing that? You believe me? Ah, I'll bless you more than you can ever imagine. I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you. Multiply your seed like the stars in the heavens, like the sand on the sea. I'll bless you, bless you, I'll bless you. I'll bless every place you set your foot. It's yours. I will bless you so abundantly. Why? Because he heard the voice of God and he obeyed the word of God. God hadn't had a man do that. Obey him, hear him. Since Noah, Noah found grace in the sight of God. You know, before Noah enters the picture, God was going to wipe everybody off the face of the earth. It had repented the Lord that he even created man. Noah hears the voice of God, and, 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 and God has favor upon him. He finds grace in the sight of God. There's something about hearing the voice of God clearly. Moses heard the voice of God clearly, and God said, I am that great I am. And he said to him, I love this. He said, come to me, come to me, draw nigh, draw nigh unto me. And, and Moses starts drawing nigh unto him. And, and as he's going, the Lord said, wait, wait, hold on. Take off your shoes for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. And, you know, our carnal mind that, that doesn't really hear God correctly because we're alienated by our wicked works, because we're enemies to God, when we hear that, it reminds us of, of being scolded for having on dirty shoes walking in on the carpet. You know, it, hey, wait a minute. I want you to come here. Well, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't come in with those nasty shoes, traipsing all that mud in on my, on my beautiful carpet or beautiful floors. You, you take your shoes off. The place whereon you stand is holy ground. But when I hear it the way God actually speaks, I hear something different. I hear God speaking, take the shoes that are on your feet, remove them for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. This is what I hear. I hear, Moses, I know that you are a shepherd. I know you've got shoes on your feet. And I know why you have shoes on your feet. You have shoes on your feet because, because you're a shepherd and, and, and you have, to, you have to, to traipse across these mountains. You have to walk in some of the rocky terrain where there are thorns and thistles and scorpions and snakes and rocks and sharp edges. And, and you're used to protecting yourself. But Moses, you're standing on holy ground. And there's nothing on this holy ground that can hurt you or harm you. I want you to remove your protection and remove your guard. And I want you to come into my presence. Do you know that's God's simple message to you tonight? Is to just let down your guard and come into his presence. He's not to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to run and hide from him. You don't have to feel like your disobedience and your shame and your sin can keep you from his love he's still the same loving God he's still a kind and compassionate savior oh hallelujah that's who he is that's who he is and so so Moses Moses brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and brought them to this mountain and said I want y'all to go with me and talk to the God of our fathers and they said, all right, well, we've only heard about him. We've been in slavery for 400 plus years. And Moses said, I want you to talk to the God of our fathers. I just talked with him. And we had a wonderful conversation. He's awesome. You're going to love him. You're going to love his presence. It's going to be wonderful. And they get to the mountain. And when they get to the mountain, they see lightning. And they see clouds. And they see darkness. And they hear thunder. And they hear words. Words reverberating from the mountain. And there's like a whirlwind on top of that mountain. And, and they said, Moses, where are we going? He said, right up there. And they said, you have lost your mind. And we are not going with you to that mountain. He said, no, no, no. I know it looks scary to the flesh. I know because you are fallen, because you have been disobedient, because of your wicked works. I know it feels like you should be afraid, but if you'll just trust him. 
and enter into his presence. He's a God who loves you and who has every intention to deliver you and to save you. And just go with me. And they wouldn't. They would not do it. They would not go with him. And so Moses went up to the Lord and said, Lord, they'll not come with me. And God said, all right, then this is how we're going to have to do it. I'm going to have to give you my word that I wanted to speak to them directly. I'm going to have to give it to you, and then you're going to have to take it to them. And that is where we get the law of Moses. The law of Moses came into play, came into being, simply because the children of Israel refused They refused to actually have a personal relationship with God. And instead they had Moses talking to God and Moses bringing God's word back to them. Let me explain something to you tonight. When I preach to you and teach to you, I am not Moses. I'm not standing between you and God. Yes, I have a word from the Lord to share, but but, but, but this relationship is something you can have with the Lord and must have, must have with the Lord between you and God. There's no body on this earth that you have to go through. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And we may not be able to approach him in our human flesh and in the filthiness of our wicked ways, but in Christ Jesus, We have an advocate with the Father. In Christ Jesus, we have a way we can approach God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you have to understand that when man fell, man fell and he fell hard. There's no sense in acting like we're righteous. We're not righteous. There's no sense in acting like we have the answers. We don't have the answers. There's no sense in acting like you don't need to repent. You must repent. There's no sense in acting like you are fine in your wicked ways. No, no, you're doomed for eternal damnation in your wicked ways. You must turn yourself over to the Lord because you are in a fallen state. I'm in a fallen state. We are fallen humanity. This is why people do bad things. This is why people have bad attitudes. This is why people are stubborn and rebellious and iniquitous and adulterous. And this is why people are idolatrous. They, they are fallen. And when they fall and when they fail, they became basically like the beasts of the field, given over to their carnal lusts and their earthly desires. But I've come to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when we talk about the fall of man, we don't just talk about the fall of man, but we talk about the dissension of our God who came down into the form of a man and he saved us from that fall and he lifted us from that fall and he lifted us from that despair. Oh, there's hope in Jesus. I said there's hope in Jesus. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen, there's hope in Jesus. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It doesn't matter how intertwined or interwoven you are in some kind of a wicked way. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Let's read on what the Bible said. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Colossians 1.19 verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Reconcile all things. That reconciliation must occur because of the fact that man had fallen. Man is in a state of needing to be reconciled. Reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say whether they be things in heaven or things in earth and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if oh that's a big word That's the biggest two-letter word there is in the world. If, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. He said, I'm going to tell you what 
you've got every reason in the world to have hope, to believe God's word is true. And if you will remain grounded and settled in the faith, hallelujah, being not moved away from the hope of the gospel. I've come to tell you, Tree of Life Church, will never be in Jesus' name moved away from the hope of the gospel. Every time we walk in through these doors, we come in with anticipation of the hope of the gospel. Every time we walk out these doors into this lost and dying world, we walk out these doors anticipating somebody being saved, somebody being delivered because there's hope in the gospel. Glory to God. So when, when God was manifest in the flesh, he came into this earth as Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He was a real man. He was not a man in theory. He was not a man metaphorically. He was not a man kind of. No, no, he was a man. He was a man made of a woman, made under the law. He was a man that walked this earth who grew in wisdom and in stature. He was fully God and fully man. Hallelujah. And he showed us because we don't know what a son of God is. We don't know what a son of God is. When you look at the book of Genesis and you read the, you read the passages of Scripture relative to the ages of men. And you see their age. You recognize Adam was 930 years old. And, and, and Methuselah was uh, 969 years old. And, and those men of, of those generations lived to be 900 plus years and 800 plus years. And with each generation, the number of years declines, 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 declines. And the reason it's declining is because the further they were removed from that original man who was the son of God, Adam, that original man who had dominion over the earth, the further they were removed from having dominion over the earth, the less they knew about what it meant to be a son of God. But they knew there was such a thing as a son of God, this man, Adam, who had dominion over all the face of the earth, and there was no death until disobedience. There was no death until there was sin, and he had had dominion over the fish and the fowl and the beasts of the field. And they knew of him. They knew of him so well that when Nebuchadnezzar had thrown three men into a furnace that burned with fire named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he, he threw them in thinking they would die only to find that they were walking around in the fire. And there was a fourth man in there with them. And he famously asked, didn't we throw three in the fire? Why then is there a fourth man in the fire? And then he said, and why does he look like the Son of God? He was not saying, why does he look like Jesus? Jesus did not come onto the scene until hundreds of years later. He was saying, why does he look like what we know to be the Son of God, which is the one who has dominion over the earth because the fire cannot touch him. And the only way the fire could not touch him is if he had dominion over the fire. So why then does he look like the Son of God? So, so, so this was their common understanding of what a Son of God is. A Son of God is someone who has dominion over all the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and the earth itself to the point that they actually have power over death. When God became a man... He was the only begotten Son of God. Why was he the Son of God? He's not the Son of God forever. There is a particular time frame in which he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God when he is born in Bethlehem. And he is the Son of God until the last enemy is destroyed, which is death. And the kingdom is delivered to the Father that God may be all in all. Why did God become a Son of God? God became the only begotten Son of God so that he could show us who we are. He came to show us who we are. That's why WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because whatever he does, that's what we're supposed to do. However he treats people, that's how we're supposed to treat people. However he lives his life, 
That's how we're supposed to live our lives. Jesus came to show us what a son of God looks like. Look at his miracles. His miracles had to do with dominion over the earth. His, his miracles were turning water into wine, taking five loaves and two fish and feeding thousands of people, walking on water. Why did he even walk on water? He walked on water. He was going to pass them by if they did not notice him. But they called to him and he came and he said to Peter, come unto me. Why did he walk on water? Not to be a showboat, no pun intended. He walked on water to show Peter, Peter, you can walk on water. You have dominion. You have authority. So right now, we are in the place in the kingdom of God where the kingdom of God lives inside of us. And as long as the kingdom is on the inside of us, I'm going to tell you something. We have authority. We have power. We have dominion in Jesus Christ. Now, we still have this body, which is a body of death. And the apostle Paul said, Oh, who, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The struggle we have spiritually is because of this body that we are in. But when this body is sown in dishonor by way of death, it shall be raised in honor by way of resurrection. Hallelujah. The only thing standing between me and full and total authority with God is the fact that I don't yet have my resurrected body. But on that great getting up morning, when all the saints shall rise, when the roll is called up yonder, we will be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Glory to God. This is why you've got to get into the body of Christ. I said the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ that came up out of that grave. And that's why we're baptized into Jesus. We're baptized into that resurrected body. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. My Lord. That's the whole purpose of this. This all is about life and death. It's all about life and death. It's all about the fact that we were never supposed to die and God became a man so that he could overcome death on our behalf and he would give us the free gift of grace and we could overcome the death that we got ourselves into. Oh, hallelujah. The moment, you know, Adam had dominion over everything, including the serpent. And in that transaction of the Garden of Eden, he took all that dominion he had and contractually he gave it all to the serpent. And the serpent became known as the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. And, and, and so he gave it all over to the serpent. Yeah. But when Jesus came into the earth, Jesus, through contractual terms... Jesus didn't snap his fingers and change everything, wiggle his chin and try to change everything. He's not a rule breaker. He's not a cheater. He's not a criminal. He came in and he abided by the law. He abode by the law. He came into this and through the law overcame sin and death. He beat sin and death at their own crooked game. Hallelujah. Sin demanded an innocent life. God gave them an innocent life. Sin demanded that that life be, be killed. God provided that. Sin demanded that, that this be done of a spotless lamb. He became the spotless lamb. Every one of sin's demands, God became a man and met them one by one by one by one. And when it was all said and done, it was a clean, spotless, flawless transaction. And it stands up in any court of law on earth or in heaven. And God is the righteous judge. And Jesus Christ, the man, is our mediator. And all you've got to do is walk into the courtroom. He will advocate for you. He will stand up for you. Ha! Hallelujah. And say, I know what they've done wrong, but they're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm telling you what, no wonder we dance and shout and sing and clap and stomp and, and, and have a good time in the presence of the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. My, the love of God is so rich and so real and so pure. The 
The fact that God would come down into the form of a man and do something that he didn't have to do. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. He didn't owe us anything, but he gave it. Jesus paid it all. Everything he paid it all. He paid for my sins. He paid for your sins. He paid for sins perpetrated against me. Jesus paid it all with his precious blood with his spotless blood. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. This is why we let the devil know the blood of Jesus is against you. The blood of Jesus is against you. And while I may be in a fallen state, I have given myself over to the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance, baptism into his name, being filled with his spirit. And my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to talk to you about, real quick, before we go, that Lamb's Book of Life. The Bible says we spend our years as a tale that is told. So our years are basically written down. They're written down. The Bible says every idle word you speak is going is is to rise up in judgment. Everything you say. It's all being written down. And it's in a book. It's the book of your life. Everything you've said, everything you've done, it's recorded. It's written down. And it's going to come back on you in judgment and me. So I'm sorry, but, you know, you probably got some stuff you wish wasn't there, but it's there. It's all written down. It's all recorded. And, and, and the devil is going to want to throw the book at you. It's the book of Joel's life. The book of Joel's life. I don't want anybody reading that book. It's this big. And it's in chronological order. They've got them in alphabetical orders. It's written in all languages. It's a, it's a book you don't want to read. But that's not the book I'm going to be judged by. Hallelujah. Because I've got my name written in the Lamb's book of life. This is also a book that has recorded a life. Joel's book of life has recorded my life, but the Lamb's book of life has recorded the life of the Lamb. It records everything he did. It records every time he was tempted in all points, as I'm tempted, but he overcame that temptation. It records every sickness that he healed. It records every time that he subdued the principality or power under his feet. All of that is in the Lamb's book of life. And if my name, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, is written in the Lamb's book of life, This is what basically happens. The enemy wants me to be judged by my book of life. And so the Lord understands, yeah, this is Joel's book of life. I know everything he did and said and and everything he did wrong. But if his name is written in this book, then this is the book he'll be judged by. Not by that book. Hallelujah. And my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Glory to God. So I will be judged innocent. Not because I'm innocent, but because I'm in Christ and he's innocent. I'll be judged blameless, not because I'm blameless, but because I'm in Christ and he's blameless. Don't you know that's why we're baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. That's not a ritual or a ceremony or something we do to be different from others. It's because that name is the only name that can walk through the gates of glory. That name is the only name that can stand in the presence of a holy God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Joel Urshan can't stand in the presence of God. Joel Urshan is way too unholy, unrighteous, unclean. The only name that can stand in the presence of a holy, righteous, and perfect God is the name of Jesus Christ. My only hope of being there is to be in him. Hallelujah. Yes, it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You better believe, thank God for the blood. In sin I wandered sore and sad with bleeding heart and aching head. But Jesus came and sweetly said, I'll take your sins away. Thank God for the blood hallelujah thank God for the blood when gloom 
and sadness whisper, you've sinned, no use to pray. I turn and look to Jesus and he tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood and it flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. His blood that was shed, hallelujah, concluded my obligation to sin and death and now I am free. I'm free. I'm free from that confusion. I'm free from that condemnation. I'm free from that judgment that was hanging over my head. I'm free by the grace of God, by the, by the mercy of the Lord. Oh, somebody ought to shout about it. Somebody ought to give him praise for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My Lord, my Lord. Somebody ought to give him praise for it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We say it today. And it is said in the book of Revelation, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to open the books and loose the seals thereof. Hallelujah. Nobody's worthy but the Lamb of God. Nobody's worthy but the Lamb of God. He's the one who is sinless. He's the one who is shameless. He's the one who is spotless. He's the one who is perfect. Hallelujah. He is the one who has lived the life none of us could live. Thank you, Jesus. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our dedication to Him. Glory to God. Cain rose up to kill Abel. It was a result of the fall. The predators all began to crouch and prey on those that were inferior. All throughout the wildlife and animal kingdom, the beasts of the field started feeding on flesh and blood. The fall of man had taken place. But I bring to you today the restoration of that same man. Not the first man, Adam. That's not who we place our faith in. We place our faith in the last Adam. The second man, Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ. Where the wolf will lay down with the lamb. The lamb will be in no fear because the wolf will have every predatory instinct stripped from him. There will be no predators in this kingdom. There will be no robbers or thieves or murderers or rapists or racists or persecutors. There will be none of that in this kingdom. This is a kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, hallelujah, where peace reigns, where love permeates, where the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is the kingdom of our God, hallelujah, and we are translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. I wonder if you have a praise in your heart for the God who saved you. If you could stand to your feet with me right now and just love him. Could you do that? Could you just love him right now? If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I would love to baptize you today in the only saving name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, I, I would love for you to come to the front of this house. Believing with all your heart that God will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. If you've never repented of your sins, I want you to know you can turn today. You can turn today. Hallelujah. If you've repented for 40 years of sins and are still struggling, I want you to do it again and again. Keep turning from that sin. Don't ever let it take hold on you. Fight, fight, fight. In the name of Jesus, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Could fallen men and women who have been restored by the blood of Jesus Christ lift your hands all across this house and thank God for his precious blood. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
Bible said, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. I want this week, as you go from this place, every time that the enemy tries to whisper in your ear to move you away from the hope of the gospel, to shove you off your base, just as he did Eve in the Garden of Eden, trying to make you question the hope of the gospel. I want you to continue with God in faith, grounded and settled. Say it with your mouth. Say it in praise. Say it in faith believing. I know he has lifted me. I know he has healed me. I know he has saved me. I stand resolute in the, in the faith. Hallelujah. The hope of the gospel. The gospel, hallelujah, of Jesus Christ that gives me perfect love to cast out fear, that gives me joy to be my strength, that gives me peace that surpasses even my understanding. Continue in the faith. Come on, lift up your hands unto the Lord and say it, God, help me to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, grounded and settled in the name of Jesus. Go ahead. That's it. That's it. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.